Coming to you from the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books here at the University of Southern California, I'm Colin Marshall. This is the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. Today I'm speaking with the editor of a project that I think everybody interested in Los Angeles, whether they are an Angelino or not, will be interested in. It's called Latitudes, capital L-A, an Angelino's Atlas. But as I say, for everybody with an interest in Los Angeles, who I think, you know, if, you, if you're interested in Los Angeles, if you're, if you're into it, we can count you as an honorary Angelino. Contributors include well, this is how I this is how I got excited about the book because contributors include people that I've met that I've read on Los Angeles. A lot of the new wave of Los Angeles writers that have been really focused on the city for the past 20, 25 years. People like Glenn Creason, uh, Josh Kuhn, people like Nathan Masters, Linnell George, people that I've been following and I was so delighted to see in one book finally. The editor is Patricia Wakira. She has been the Associate Curator of History at the Japanese American National Museum here in Los Angeles. She is a writer, she is a linoleum block artist, a bibliophile, she is many things, but do you consider yourself and Angelino. What a great question. I only lived here for four years, and this was recently, but I feel so converted and deeply ingrained now in the neighborhood that I lived in, which was Boyle Heights, and the people that I've met in the cultural institutions that I frequented and the hikes that I took that I would say I'm an Angelino. It doesn't take much. I think it's a, it's a state of heart that really brings you into um, embracing the city and really wanting to sing its it's many, many, many praises. How do you describe this book, Latitudes? I feel like you can call it a collection of essays or a sort of geographically themed anthology. I don't know, but it's heavily designed, but also it, it's focused equally on the design and the writing, and it integrates it under the framework of Los Angeles geography. I don't know. What do you say? Well, it initially started as a literary collection of essays, and all of the pieces had to be written um, Originally, they they weren't the writers were not allowed to actually submit something to me that had been previously written and thought through. Um, the process itself was actually kind of a fascinating uh, thing in itself, which is that we made a call for submissions that was international. We did get proposals from around the world asking people what would be the story that you need to tell about the Los Angeles that people just don't seem to know enough about, and um, we had a tremendous response. The ideas that came in were stimulating and surprising, and it was a really tough thing to to call that down to what we thought were the 20 most essential stories that surprised us the most, that really made us curious. And so I, I really think the literary part of the emphasis is where my heart lies in this book. However, the atlas aspects of it, which is the cartography, was always part of the book from the initial design. And um, I think it adds a kind of complexity that the city deserves and it is necessary in some ways for people to actually understand that there are so many layers to each part of Los Angeles history and the neighborhoods and the people that inhabit it. I've always fantasized about this experiment where you just take a bunch of people who live in Los Angeles, hand them blank sheets of paper and say, draw a map of Los Angeles, because none of them are going to look the same. They're going to look all completely different. Uh, they'll have different centers. They'll all have multiple centers. I mean, what, what would your map of Los Angeles have looked like when you lived here? What would, what would have been in the center? What would have been the really bright spots you would have spent time drawing? That's a great question. Um, honestly, 
because I was, I'm relatively new to Los Angeles, it took me a long time to get to understand the city and its parameters. Um, I know that you also are relatively new to Los Angeles, and it takes understanding like what's on the street and what you see in front of you on a building, on a sidewalk, um, um, and then getting it to navigate it through a car and through the metro are such different ways of looking at it. In fact, when we started the book, I had to really study maps of Los Angeles County. I had to study maps of the neighborhoods to understand all the places that people were referencing that I was unfamiliar with. If I had my map of Los Angeles, I would probably certainly start with Boyle Heights, which is where I lived. Um, that was not an accidental choice. Um, the Metro Gold Line had opened just the November before I moved in. And I was working at the Japanese American National Museum, as you said, which is located in Little Tokyo, which is really less than a mile from where I lived in Boyle Heights. There's also an interesting connection between Janum and Boyle Heights, and that is probably 10 years ago, they did a very intensive, deep community historical project about Boyle Heights where they collected photographs from people through the high schools and the libraries and did oral histories of the multiracial histories of Boyle Heights. So I was very familiar with the place and yet it was a little bit of a forgotten corner into more recently. Um, so I had an affinity for it. There was a very popular exhibition that went behind it and that Gold Line Metro Station opening pretty much sealed the deal. I knew that it was something that I would be able to see the city outside of a car that way. My own map of Los Angeles is very transit-oriented as well because I live in Koreatown where there's, you know, three subway stations and never did get around to having a car. So it's one of the... I'll actually... I'll, I'll frame it this way. You know, you say you weren't in Los Angeles long as a resident and that I'm fairly new here compared to a lot of people. I mean, I haven't been here even five years. But there's a sense I find that people still psychologically live in the Los Angeles they arrived in to some extent. Like, they can see what changes and adapt, but part of them always remains in the Los Angeles that was here or what Los Angeles was when they got here. I mean, is that a phenomenon you think is borne out by the writers in, in Latitudes who all have been here different lengths of time? That's a, that's a really intriguing question. I mean, I think that what our passions get ignited by are the, are the places that are connected um, to memory and to our hopes for the future as well as what you experience. So when I think about the writers in Latitudes, um, for example, Teddy Varno um, wrote an essay about the cattle industry in Los Angeles, and he happens to live in Los Feliz neighborhood. I know this of him, of, I know this of him personally. So he was really fascinated with the story of Los Feliz and how it got its name and who was the person that created these ranchos. He's a high school teacher also, so I think that he was innately curious about thinking about what Los Angeles looked like outside of a human experience as well, because his essay is rather cleverly told a little bit from the perspective of a cow. So I, I do think that there's something about where you are and what you experience and how to make sense of the place that sometimes makes you dig deeper into a story that might have not crossed your path otherwise. Um, Linnell is another, Linnell George, I'm sorry, is another person who is so beloved in the city and has covered a lot of different neighborhoods and yet I found it fascinating that in the opening of her essay and throughout the piece she talks about how her first way of traveling through Los Angeles was through the airwaves and I think that this was 
a, you know, it was nostalgic in some sense, but it was also filled with so much affection and love. Um, it's true. I especially enjoyed that essay on, on the radio DJs that she perceived Los Angeles through in some sense growing up and listening to the radio. But as you say, yes, you've got essays here from the perspective of livestock. You've got essays on the, the Pasadena cycleway, on ugly buildings, a lot of striking, thematically striking essays for people who maybe aren't used to even reading about Los Angeles at all. What was, in this process, when you first got brought on board Latitudes as a project, what was what were some of the first essays you read where you were thinking, oh, people are really doing something interesting here. People are thinking about Los Angeles in ways I didn't expect. Do you, what do you remember were the early moments of that realization? Well, part of it is also voice of the writer. Um, I think that since we got them in a proposal stage at first, what struck us down, which, which knocked us out, were people who had the passion for the subject. I'll give you an example, which is Charles Hood, who wrote about um, urban forests in Los Angeles. And just the phrasing of that uh, gave me a fresh set of eyes immediately to think about why wouldn't I actually take a moment and remove everything else and only concentrate on the trees um, and surprise wonderment and deeper appreciation of the actual beauty that is there that is exactly what we were looking for in what a writer could deliver um, I wouldn't I would be very sad if I were to say like how many people were unfortunately not able to come in how many how many books are on the cutting room floor here like there's various volumes of latitudes you could probably do with what just what you got I got over 150 proposals oh and I would say that most of them were really intriguing um some of them might have actually covered topics that were right there on the edge where it's like someone probably has already written a book about this or they already have. It's not a bad subject. Sometimes the topics were so obscure that I couldn't quite understand where they were going. So We have those Los Angeles, Los Angeles enthusiasts. It's true. True, true obscurantists. That's, that's, and, that's a sector. And I just think that it had to be something that also had some historical background within it. We wanted something that was personal, but it also had to deepen our appreciation of the city and the county and help us really understand it more. Um, so I think that those were some of the really rough criteria. But again, like writer's voice and their ability to just envision this Los Angeles that we would need to as a reader was absolutely imperative and it really carried through and there's subjects in the book that are covered in a way you don't expect but they're subjects you might expect like David Eulen writes about the freeways for example you know I, I imagine there was some talk at the beginning of this project, we're not going to have any freeway essays. But what is it about his essay that, and I've interviewed him many times, he's a friend. So what, and I enjoyed his essay, of course, but why did he make freeways a non-cliche uh, for this project? How? And you're so dead right. I was opposed to writing or having any um, essays that were focusing on the freeway or Hollywood or the films. Things that are, honestly, they're not bad subjects they're just they've been written about um, but David was able to pitch an idea to me that was so so mysterious and so so bizarre and so in so many ways I mean he opens this piece uh, writing about a man who, who has a, a kind of a conspiracy theory about earthquakes and the freeway shapes um, that form a dove 
and I know this sounds really strange, but again, it was intriguing. It, it stopped me in my tracks, and he unfolds this really gorgeous... Meditation is really the best way I can say about how he got to know the city through the freeways. Um, he has a way with language. I think that's pretty much the As way I would I expect from his career, I guess. But it's true. You know, and I think of his... Did you go back to his book on earthquake prediction at all? Like the Myth of Solid Ground, I think it's... But it's out... That's, I wish that book would get reissued. That's my point. Is uh, There's a lot of, like... There's a lot of... There's a lot of writing that people will go... I, th- I think Latitudes will send people back to a lot of books that have been written already by the contributors or otherwise. I mean, did you get... Even just putting the book together, where did you find yourself thinking, "Oh, I've got to go back and read that. I've got to go back and read that." I mean, what were the real like? Oh, I I wish I I wish I had already read this book before putting this book together. Moments. I mean, were there? What did it reveal about what there was to be read about Los Angeles already? You, you come across Carrie McWilliams. You come across the architecture of four ecologies. How much? How aware were you of? the sort of body of Los Angeles writing that there already was when you went into this project. What sense did you have of what sort of a pyramid you were working on top of, I guess? I shamefully didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. Um, My specialty was in Japanese-American history, and when I got here... I did look into the history, I, you know, any kinds of books that were written about ethnic communities and histories here in Los Angeles first. Um, a lot of those are very specific to neighborhoods um, and the Japanese-American experience. So I had to do a lot of reading. I, I, I sat my butt down at the Los Angeles Public Library right next to Glenn Creason's section and um, just pulled everything off of the shelves. I actually even pulled down old issues of Los Angeles Magazine um, and the LA Times Review of Books and just started to go backwards to see who were the writers as well as the essay topics as well as the books that just kept getting referenced and I you know it, it certainly created a good year and a half of conversation with people about what should I be reading or who who has said things that need to be remembered was that your primary method of understanding Los Angeles for yourself in terms of the prism of ethnic history, ethnic neighborhoods, that sort of thing, uh, immigrant communities? Was that, the f- was that the framework you came to understand everything else you understood about Los Angeles through? No, it was really through the people. I, I, I'm such, a, I'm such a, such a social person, and again, my work at the museum gave me an exposure on a daily basis, not only to our... Really, ex, you know, ex, um, expert staff, but there are our volunteers at the museum who had been living in Los Angeles their entire lives and had experienced it through so many different eras. Um, you people, just get their stories and you would understand exactly the city. Right. And they would also send me to places and visitors would come into the door. And I always do ask people, what neighborhoods do you live in? It's one of my, it's one of my things to get an orientation of where you live and how you see Los Angeles. Um, I also just got out a lot. Um, people like Alyssa Walker, for example, who is a journalist and a friend, are always telling us about open houses, walks, bike tours, museum shows. Um, you know, there there are so many interesting resources out here, and I just followed them. It was it was kind of a job for me to become an adventurer and see what I'm supposed to go see, and I invited people to take me wherever they wanted to take me. There's a sense, isn't there, that 
you can be driven just by a desire to learn about Los Angeles because it seems so difficult to master. It's one of those cities like you sort of give up hope right at first. It's like, well, I'm never going to make sense of this. But then you realize, no, I can learn about it. And you you start to think, at least I start to... I. I came into it thinking, the more I learn about Los Angeles, the better I'll be able to use it and live in it and enjoy it. Is that is that a realization you also had? Yes. I mean, I mean, one of the things that's happened in the time that you and I have both been here in the city is this complete revitalization of the Los Angeles River, as an example. And you wouldn't know what kind of energy is being built around this this incredible part of Los Angeles landscape, if you didn't visit the river and then meet the people who are walking it, fishing it, um, doing events around it, advocating for it, educating around it, unless you were there, and I think that each one of these things opens a whole completely new box of opportunities and experiences that are there. I don't know, have you actually tried the kayaking on the river yet? I have not tried kayaking on the river. I've biked along it, which for long stretches you can do. But have you kayaked on the river? I kayaked t- about two and a half years ago before it, it was actually um, completely set into a season, and it was through Hidden L.A., so that was another resource that I became very dependent on and did the kayaking as well as I've camped out on the Los Angeles River through the support of Clock Shop, another wonderful arts organization here in Los Angeles, and the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. So I was in the first slot of people that camped out on the river. What sections of the river can you do these things on? Because it varies so much. It's so long, and it changes as you go. Like, where are the campable, kayakable stretches? I believe that the most recreation-friendly area right now is what people call Glendale Narrows. So um, it's near Frogtown. There's a very specific California State Park permit that's involved in doing the camping, and it's something that they themselves have to organize. So um, I don't think that they're encouraging people just to pitch out now, but it was something that they've done now, I think, twice and are trying to expand that notion, partly to open people's um, understanding of, of the river and what its potential could be, but also to get people to understand that urban experiences and wildlife happen right here in Los Angeles, which is the most unexpected um place to actually do your camping and to roast marshmallows and sing songs under the stars. It is. Things happen in unexpected places in Los Angeles in general, and that's something that the maps reveal in latitudes. And something else the book underscores is this idea I've had about Los Angeles and cities in general for a while, but especially Los Angeles, that a city like this acts as a nexus for every interest you have so whatever you're interested in you can look at it through the you can look at it through Los Angeles and there will be some confluence of the two you know if you're into livestock if you're into camping if you're into architecture especially if you're into food there is a way that Los Angeles can there is a way that that interest can organize Los Angeles for you i feel like that's got to be true here do you think that That's just a way that cities are, or a way Los Angeles specifically is? Another really intriguing question. I mean, because part of me believes that some of that that love and interest is already in us when we come to the city, and we have curiosity about these things, so we're we're drawn to them, we're magnetized to them, we we seek it. Um, And then there's the accidents. There's the things that happen when you meet a person who takes you to a certain cathedral, and 
you have an experience there and you meet other people who embrace you and create community. So I do think maybe at our age, you know, maybe at my age, I'm sorry, um, there's a there's a point where arriving at the Japanese American National Museum came, you know, brought me here with a deep love for Japanese American history. And then I had to learn about, well, what about the people that lived here in Los Angeles and these neighborhoods? And then what are those neighborhoods? And then you go to the neighborhoods and you find out there's this old bakery and then you find out there's an old story behind this particular sign and then you meet somebody's uncle and it's just... You get to a finer and finer grain. It kind of does. It kind of does. And then they put you in their car and take you to someone else to to visit a garden and tell you a story about how these magnolia trees were saved during the war. I mean, it just seems to unravel. It it does. And yeah, I don't know. I think they they sort of... It's a Mobius strip and they feed each other. It's true, you never really get to the bottom, which is another appeal of learning about a city like this. But I want to go back to, you say you talk about the advantages of conversation in understanding Los Angeles. Certainly it's an advantage that I've tried to use myself as well, talking to people um, professionally and otherwise. But you say you always ask what neighborhood someone lives in, and that's, I think, a pretty common question. Everybody wants to start with that. You know, where do you, where do you live? Where you live is very important here, as in many cities, but here especially. What are some of the other standard questions you know you find fruitful to ask people who live here that reveals sort of what their Los Angeles is? I'm thinking back to the map in the heyday booth where it's a bunch of questions like where what are what are some of the questions on the wall? It's asking people to like put up their relevant places, their memorable places of Los Angeles, right? What what are what type of places? Uh, we asked a couple of questions in the heyday booth that's um, connected to a large laminated map of Los Angeles County that was actually gifted to us by Glenn Creason for this purpose. He'd be the one to gift it. He would be the one. He would be the one that would have that um, to gift. Um, so we really wanted again look for experience connected to a place. Um, one of the questions that I find to be intriguing is back to what we said, where's the very first place that you lived? I really like the question also about where have you had urban wildlife and um, experiences? There's a question about where have you um, fallen in love? I actually got married here in Los Angeles. Um, so where I'm, was that? That was at uh, Zensuji Soto Mission Temple in Little Tokyo, on Hewitt Street. Um, and I think that these questions of your your emotional experiences and your memories tied to this place is so is so revealing. Another one of our my uh, favorite questions that we have up at the booth is name a song that reminds you of a place in Los Angeles. And I was trying hard not to be too specific to saying it has to be a song about L.A., um, but maybe a song that just evokes a feeling for you um, about a neighborhood, about an experience, about a place in the city that has deep meaning for you. There's those range of questions. There's the cult. I think It makes me think that there's cultural ones and also geographical ones. I mean, everybody has fun discussing, like, where do you draw the line between the west and east side, right? <laughs> um, that does come up a, a lot. It came up very intensely in this whole project since I'm working with a cartographer and one of our SAS, Rostin Wu, delves into this. Like, how do we actually politically assign name places 
when they actually often have more than just a sentimental value to it. There are, in some cases throughout Los Angeles, um, stereotypes, reputation. It can actually influence the value of your home, the school district that your child can go um, go and be a part of. It, it becomes a deeply difficult and contentious thing in some cases of trying to change the name um, an example that's not in his essay, but I'm familiar with because I lived near it, is Brooklyn Avenue in Boyle Heights, is now called Cesar Chavez. And I don't think there's controversy behind it, but it's something that you would have to know enough that when people say Brooklyn and Boyle Street, you know where it is. And it, it takes a little bit of generational memory to understand that. And it's not necessarily political in that case, but it really shows you... Who was the old timer here, and who is somebody that just moved in six yeah. months ago? Um, it's true. It's true for a lot of the ways people talk about Los Angeles. You can sort of, if you hear them talk enough, not even mentioning how long they've been here, you can guess how long it's been. It's and as I say before, it's there is a way that the first Los Angeles you get to imprints itself on you, isn't there? True, and I embraced I embraced the newcomer role as best as I could because I knew that it wouldn't serve me to protect my ignorance but to really understand the city and the way that people wanted me to see the city and to experience something that that I wasn't going to find in a regular guidebook um, where does Los Angeles end when are you not in Los Angeles anymore where does Los Angeles end It's such a question of both geography and of the imagination in the mind. Right. And no I, good it, answer. No, there's no good answer because it feels like every journey that you take in and out, you're surprised. Or are we still in Los Angeles County? I had, a, I had a young boy come up to me today and work on the interactive map and was curious about the question about where did you first live. And he, he said, I don't live in Los Angeles. I said, well, where do you live? He says, I live in El Monte. Um, which is in the county. It's not in Los Angeles City, I understand. But I helped him find it on the map, and we put down his street, and he put his name down and put it on there. But it's amazing how everyone's mind is very focused on where you are and where you're from. People who, the longer someone's been here, this sort of... I don't know if this is necessarily true, but it seems like it is. The longer someone's been here, the more willing they are to call... The farther the farther out they go, the more willing they are to call it Los Angeles. That sort of there's a there's a there's an expanse uh, people tend to have. You know, someone who came here in the '60s might they might almost call Chatsworth Los Angeles in my experience. Whereas someone who came here as recently as I as I did, El Monte is not in really my conception of Los Angeles. Uh, it, of course, everybody's idea of Los Angeles goes beyond the city border because the city border is weird and not really encompassing everything people think of when they think of Los Angeles. But then, I read books written in the 50s and 60s, 70s about Los Angeles, and they're always going on, these books, even the ones that are pro-Los Angeles, about how, yeah, you might as well call everything south of Santa Barbara and north of San Diego Los Angeles. But why do you want to do that? Why is the size so impressive? I mean, there was a time when Los Angeles was impressive purely because of its size. Now it's got other things, right? It doesn't. We don't have to be always talking about how big it is, right? True. But even before I got here, and in the beginning when I first moved here, I know that I had no idea of its parameters. And I think that there's 
a, lo a long ongoing feeling of that sprawl being associated with the sense that it doesn't ever end and that it's a little bit monstrous and um, overgrown in a way that's out of control. Um, so that's why I think that there's there's that fine line between you know, are we defining things by just the geography and outside of defining its bigness, the bigness also means that there's a lot of people here too. That it, it, it and more coming. That's right, and I mean it, it holds a huge population and a huge number of desires and wants and disappointments and hopes and there's something about that that I think also encompasses big in the in this. The, in the reach of Los Angeles, it's true. It, there's there's that element to it, and as well, you mentioned, you know, it seems David. it seems like it doesn't end. What one of my favorite things about Los Angeles? One of the things that drew me here was that there seems not to be a border between Los Angeles and the the rest of the globe. Like the whole Los Angeles doesn't stop in one place, and the the wider world begins. The world sort of. The world is in, is represented not in perfect microcosm in Los Angeles, but there's a sense in which there's the traffic between Los Angeles and the whole world is is not interrupted. It just sort of goes. How to put it? it? People people from all regions of the world who can come here do, and people go to all regions of the world from here in a way that I haven't seen in many other American cities. Does that make sense at all to you? Yeah, I, I gleaned a couple of things off it. One is just that we're in an age now where transportation allows us to have these kind of dreamy experiences where you can transport yourself from many parts of the globe to the Los, to Los Angeles in a relatively short amount of time. And it just, it's a little bit like just falling asleep and waking up and here you are. There's also this really interesting thing to me that is experienced through digital maps. And when we use our GPS, you actually don't necessarily always look up and see where you are. You're listening. Watching the dot. You're following, exactly, instructions. And so you don't really understand where you're, where you are either um, in terms of maybe it's the speed of the car or the speed of the jet or even the speed of the train, but it's harder to get a grasp on what, what you've left and what you're entering at this point with this combination of transportation and this really ambiguous mapping where you're just... You don't really know where you are, and sometimes you don't even look at the names of streets. Right. It's, it's true. I've had that experience in various forms of transportation, watching, even on the bus, watching the, um, watching the phone closer than watching the street, because I might not know where I am if I'm going to a new place, and they might not announce the stop. Lord knows. It's not that consistent. So wh however way you're getting around Los Angeles, you could have that experience of you're, you're watching its representation. You're not really watching it. But this brings to mind, I think this, this institution is mentioned in Latitudes, but it brings to mind the fact that I've never seen a Thomas Guide, which strikes me as a good, a good a sign as any is the change in Los Angeles. I've never seen one. And, I mean, this is something that I guess was once a, this, this book of maps that everybody had, right? Did literally everybody have it? Why, 
you know, you must have put some thought into the meaning of the Thomas Guide. It's also a book of maps. It's also about Los Angeles. It's not like latitudes, but what was, I guess, the Thomas Guide? Well, again, I came here in Los Angeles post-Thomas Guide era, but I have certainly seen lots of them throughout my life, having come back and forth, and I have older relatives around here who still have it jammed in the passenger side of, like, the door. It's, it's, it is an atlas of, of about yay big. It's a large rectangular thing of, of many colored maps and, and neighborhoods. And before you had that fluid digital image flowing through you, you actually had to look it up by street names and, and be able to index it and figure out where you were going plot by plot, which required a certain kind of strategic thinking in a way because you might, it's like, you know, when you, I don't know if you play music, but when you're on the, <laughs> when you're playing music and you got to flip the page, you're not always necessarily sure what's going to be on the next page and you got to relocate yourself upon that. So you are not fixed on the map the way that you are in GPS today. And so it really did take a certain skill to be able to follow it. And yet, I, I can understand why it was a necessity if you're being sent to some tiny warehouse on the edge of El Monte, for say. Who's and sending you to this tiny warehouse on the edge of El Monte? No, maybe there's an art show there. Yeah, maybe yeah. there's someone you're having fabricate something. Maybe sure. your cousin's loft is next door to it. Um, any number of reasons. Any number of reasons. And... I don't think I could imagine how you could have survived without it. Right, right. It is fascinating to me to see to see how much importance it had, and that's all I know about that is the references in texts or in conversations. Some people will still insist that it's important, but they they've been using it since the 1970s or whatever, you know. And I wonder. This surfaces in some of the essays in Latitudes, but in other writing about Los Angeles as well. People will reference certain maybe complaints about Los Angeles. They'll say, oh, people say that... They'll start off, oh, people say Los Angeles has no culture and no one cares about the history. People say Los Angeles has... Uh, and people say that Los Angeles is a place where you're in traffic all day long. And I hear references to those complaints more than the complaints these days. Like, it's... I don't... I'm not saying those complaints have gone away, but I know them mostly as as items set up to be refuted, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, I don't hear the actual, I don't hear those negative descriptions of Los Angeles much anymore. Maybe because you're in Los Angeles, though. Maybe, but I feel like people here were saying them, right? Like, the main complaints about that, about traffic, were coming from Angelinos, or, or were they not? It does come from Angelinos, but having relocated back into the Bay Area again, I still hear a lot of really bad terrible takedowns of Los Angeles all the time. What is the complaint from from that part of the state then? What do, what do people, how do people perceive, what do you think they think Los Angeles is? I, the stereotypes that I picked up that I brought with me initially, and again, I'm really embarrassed to confess to these, but they were, what I came with was that it's vapid, that there there is no intelligence, there's no depth, there's no there's no grain to the actual experience and, and lifestyle that's there. Um, and that the city is endlessly sprawling with terrible, car-congested, unhospitable landscapes that just were 
not good for you. Right, right, right. I don't know. Unhealthy. 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 Yeah. And I know that this was definitely true and has and could very likely become true again at certain points, but perhaps this is just the tale of the underdog that got sick of that kind of that kind of um, disrespect because we both know that Los Angeles is going through a tremendous amount of civic change and it's it takes a lot of work it does take a lot of money but it also takes imagination which is where I think the writers and this particular book um, in in latitudes come in it's about envisioning and also envisioning the past and its incredible context and how it was even built in the first place to the point of our, our present and our future and really expecting more. Um, and it's probably true of the entire planet, but a city like this with the amount of money that comes through it and the, and the population and the education, it, it's just... I think it was time that Los Angeles' um, whole aura just started to shift. And one of the chroniclers of that transformation that I followed most closely is Christopher Hawthorne, the architecture critic for the Los Angeles Times. And I, I mean, even now, he's doing the series Third Los Angeles. If you've seen the banners for it, talks about what actually this third iteration of Los Angeles is. And he... I talked to him about this one time, and he, he said he grew up in Berkeley, and he described it as an indoctrination. You get indoctrinated to hate Los Angeles uh, growing up there. That was his experience, anyway. And I wonder if, I mean, is what is the necessity of that, I guess? I wonder, I feel like nobody's hating other cities in Los Angeles, but why would, I mean, you're, you're based in Oakland, why... Why would anybody care about Los Angeles enough to hate it if they're not in it? I guess that's what I wonder. Huh. Good question, because it's it's almost a sign of insecurity. <laughs> so Los Angeles isn't a healthy place means we're a healthy place? We're a healthy place, right. That we, we feel better about ourselves. And again, I, I will say that I, was, I drank that Kool-Aid, certainly when I was living in the Bay Area initially, before I moved to L.A., and... But I, I, I realized that to, to come here and to serve the museum, first of all, my job well, would be to really learn what I can and to, to allow people to take me by the hand and just keep my mouth shut and my mind open and to really look and see what's happening around me. And again, it's an extraordinary time to be in the city. And it's not all... It's not all a, a, a rosy garden, of course, of just of just incredible change. Because just even in the neighborhoods that I was closest to, which was downtown, Little Tokyo, Boyle Heights, um, everything along the east side, you have you know in, intensely um, disenfranchised people and the homeless. Um, you have incredible racial prejudice still around the city. Um, you have police brutality. And that's not getting much better. Right. There's um, still a lot of mistrust in general in Los Angeles. Like, a lot of it's characterized by that life here. You know. True. I mean, and I think that it's important to point out that the, the book does include at least a few essays that point to some of this as well, which is that 
you're also not going to change unless you know its history in terms of of the, the racial violence that has actually been um, imposed upon people pretty much since the beginning of the history of the city. And what does that mean today? Like, what 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 good is it to always think about how good we are and not actually know that there's a lot to be not really ashamed of? Is ashamed is not a very useful emotion, but. Especially because none of us were directly involved if it's old enough. You know, it's like a massacre happened on this hill. People the color of you massacred people the color of you a long time ago. It's like, I don't know what to do about that. You know what I mean? I do, but it's also like if you're not enraged, if you're not empowered to actually see this sort of mistreatment and injustice, then you're never going to actually do anything about it, even if it's... um, coming to the Japanese American National Museum. I mean, right. I mean that's it's a good a tr- museum. I, I go there. Right. And it's it's part of what also made my Los Angeles experience so important was that there's there is a conversation, and many conversations that have to be carried on through people who actually are activists, who are politicians with with an actual conscience and even just your neighbors because you can't expect somebody else to do it. Um and I, I felt that that's also one of the major strengths of this, this book is that there's it's a it's an incredibly um, opportunistic city, and it always has been, and people have been ruined in some senses, whether it's financially or emotionally or spiritually, by moving here and and eking out what they could could out of a living, and it's still happening. So. There's still a there's a still a real backbone to what's being said, I think, in the in the pages, and it makes me think that there's there's always validity to some of the stereotypes. Smog, hot kind of. It's better than it was. It's better than it was, and a lot of that was not just a Los Angeles movement. It was something that the car um, manufacturers realized that they weren't going to be able to get away with this because they were going to get fined. Um, and transportation, there's the, you can't possibly build more freeways or make them bigger. So you had to do something. And I think there's something empowering about that, too. People always look aghast, not necessarily aghast, maybe askance, at me when I tell them that Los Angeles has, I think, fewer freeway miles per capita than any other American city now, which is hard to square sometimes with what you, when you look at the scope of the freeways. I mean, they're now a, almost a form of sculpture, aren't they, when you look at them on the skyline? dove-shaped sculpture. Oh, yes, exactly. That's exactly true. As we learned from our friend David David Ulam. Now, living in Oakland, how did you get involved with this Los Angeles Center project? Well, I worked for Heyday Books, which is a, a non-profit publishing company based in Berkeley for a very long time. And um, when I moved to Los Angeles, I, of course, kept in very close touch with our publisher, Malcolm Margolin, and told him of the work that I would be doing here and invited the opportunity for us to consider how there are always other things you could be doing publishing-wise in Southern California as well. So when the Latitudes Project was first conceived and funded um, by Malcolm, actually, with the support of a local foundation called the Durfee Foundation, he, he called and asked if I was available to get involved on a very intimate level with this book project. Um, The book itself was deeply inspired by another 
very successful book called Infinite City, written by Rebecca Solnit, who is a San Franciscan. And just like Infinite City, this book that Malcolm had in mind would pair essays with maps that corresponded with the essays but didn't necessarily correlate the topics one-to-one, meaning that if the essay was about... um, old industries along the wharf it wasn't per se the map had to follow that lead in fact in Rebecca's one of uh, Rebecca's maps in her book that essay is turned more into songs um, and ways of referencing it culturally we took a very similar lead in fact actually I should say that the that book idea for Los Angeles Latitudes was born here at the LA Times Festival of Books. Ah, yes. Malcolm... We're sitting in the right place. We are. Malcolm um, had attended one of Rebecca's talks about Infinite City, told her how jealous he was that she had made this this wonderful book, and asked, wouldn't it be just so wonderful if we could do something just like this for Los Angeles and what it would do to enrich people's understanding of the place? And she gave him the blessing to to use the same kind of model upon the book to create something. So this allowed Malcolm to have the seeds of something that he shared with uh, the Durfee Foundation and they agreed that this would be not only a wonderful way to revisit so much of Los Angeles history and cultural cultural, uh, attributes but it would also be a really great way to get a new survey on writers in Los Angeles who are really producing some of the best work. So the idea of having many, many writers versus one or two writers was born. Um, and they just needed somebody who would be able to hold onto the reins of the wagon as it went down the road. And so that's where I came in. There's almost an advantage you get living outside Los Angeles, it seems like, to get a perspective on it. Or do you, would you say, going, being able to go back and forth to some extent, you, you're able to see both areas more clearly, both Los Angeles County and the San Francisco Bay Area? I mean, does, does that happen? Absolutely. In fact, I grew up in the Central Valley, so I'm from Fresno initially, and um, talk about defending, you know, like I'm, I, t- I, in fact, I joked with Malcolm before, Fresno wasn't enough. Now I have Los Angeles to defend to the Bay Area. It's, I think that we actually lack enough institutions that really honestly do a, a, do justice to serving the entire state. Um, isn't it interesting how there seems to be these very distinctive cultures that happen in the northern and the southern region in the Central Valley and how we stick to those without necessarily being able to get into how these actual communities work and what actually is happening. I do think that going back and forth from northern and southern California has helped me really appreciate the leadership, for one, the philanthropy, the the, the, the artists, certainly, who can actually help us envision and, and really experience each area, um, the industries and how they change. It's really been, I, I think I'm so blessed to, to have had this opportunity to come to Los Angeles and not only work at the museum, but do this book, because talk about license to open doors and knock on doors and to just talk to everybody and have the the most brilliant excuse is that 
I want to tell people about the Los Angeles that lives in the shadow of all the bullshit. Yes. Where do you? Where do I go? Yeah. Lead the way. That's a good license to have. You know, <laughs> you mentioned your hometown Fresno. I feel like I've been seeing a lot of articles recently about Fresno. The Atlantic has done this whole thing, haven't they? Discovering Fresno. There's like pieces on the Fresno Bohemia. You know, I, the other week, I just got lost, as you do on the internet sometimes. I fell down a rabbit hole of reading about Fresno because I have discovered this culture of Fresno boosterism. There's this whole site, Fres Yes. I don't know if you've seen that site, but it's, it's a real thing. This Fresno, like, the sense that, again, I never heard a lot of the complaints about Fresno, but I hear the backlash to the backlash like no fresno is not this awful place so i hear the refutation of fresno is awful before i've heard fresno is awful i guess what do you find any parallels between the complaints people have historically uh volleyed at los angeles and the ones toward fresno what are the complaints about fresno well, some of the classic complaints about Fresno is that we drove from Los Angeles to San Francisco and we went, we went through nothing. I mean, it really kind of sums people's attitude about there being nothing of value. It's, it's a ruin almost. Um, and, and it's a ruin of our own making in many ways. I mean, the Central Valley has just had generations of really some of the richest oak lands and lakes and rivers which made it unfortunately for its own future I suppose, human future the place where agriculture would really take off and yet it's a hard, hard business to farm and some of the poorest populations in the entire state are up and down the Highway 99 um, and that has been a reputation that is absorbed by the residents within the Central Valley. Um, crime is really high. Drug use is pretty off the charts. And I find that even the people who live there, my entire family still lives there now, feel a bit of shame. And um, they always want to escape. They always want to go somewhere else. Los Angeles doesn't have quite that same kind of weight upon them. But I agree that the defensiveness, the, the, the desperation can sometimes come through. Um, and it's all, it's all cultural construct. <laughs> it, it all is, but I wonder, have you ever envisioned uh, what would go into a Latitudes or Infinite City type Atlas of Fresno? I have actually done that with Malcolm because we did a very similar project about 10 years ago together with the support of a... Uh, the Irvine Foundation, where we created an imprint of book called Great Valley Books. And the point was to say there is tremendous richness here. The real issue with, with the Central Valley, as with, with Los Angeles, is that people are spread out. Um, someone who may be a poet in Modesto doesn't know about the photographer in Stockton who doesn't actually talk to the people who are writing incredibly uh, gorgeous blogs about the architecture of Fresno. And there's a loneliness to being a writer. There's a loneliness to being an artist where you don't necessarily always have avenues to find other people. Um, and I do think that happens with frequency here in Los Angeles as well. It's not that easy to establish, establish yourself here in this 
day and time. And when we even talk about Los Angeles writers, most people will refer me to writers from the 40s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. Um, and then there's a pretty big blank spot. That's true. There is. It was started post City of Quartz. There's there's this strange desert of writing. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But it seems like it's we're starting again. There's an, there's been a new wave in the past few years, and a lot of the writers are in latitudes, right? Agreed. I mean, actually, one person. This is probably not very useful for you in your cast, but one of my favorite authors is Nina Rivoire, and I think that her book Southland is at the absolute top of my list of books about Los Angeles. And I think there's also the distinction between the academic writing and then there's literature, uh, the poets and the people who are writing novels and who can really evoke a feeling of the energy of this place and all of its complexities. And again, when we talk about how the culture here is evolving, it is so difficult to find someone who knows how to do that. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's 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 partly a lack of really um, knowing how to connect well. And I do hope that some of the work that we're going to be doing in Southern California um, with the launch of a new office here in LA will help us be more in touch with the people that have their finger on a, a kind of pulse and a, a certain kind of voice that we would really love to help put up into a platform, right? These are all people who, when asked, what neighborhood do you live in, give very different answers, so connecting them becomes the priority, right? That's absolutely right. I mean, and there's also the question of many different languages. Yes, yes. And it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, what... After reading Latitudes, I was like, what other maps would I want to see or what other essays like this would I want to see? And the first thing that came to mind was the sort of linguistic landscape, because that's a lot of what brought me here as well, is the opportunity to practice a variety of languages that I study, not in the school, but just in life. Uh, and that certainly happened, but I mean, that's, that's one of the most interesting things here, isn't it? Just the linguistic landscape alone? It's true. I mean, if I... If I'm on the outside not speaking Spanish. Let's just start right there. I, I, I don't speak Spanish, um, but, but I would be surprised if there are Angelinos who have not been exposed to some of it. At, and, and there is a constant stream of it that is part of our conscience in a lot of ways. It's in the air. It's in the air, absolutely. And it's not necessarily blocked by neighborhood. Um, that's just one example. I mean, I think that when you when you go from down Wilshire, for example, if you start at the ocean and just follow your way down Wilshire, I mean, just the the signs that you'll see right, the in the different alone. languages um, is just a dazzling, dis you know, visual display. And we've also, at least I have, I I've come to accept this. I mean, it really. I pointed this out. It seems normal. Yeah, I, I pointed this out in the car last night to my coworkers as we were driving through Koreatown to get some food that people in K-Town don't even change, they don't translate a lot of their signs because they're like, this is not for you. Right. It I live in matter. Koreatown myself, right. and I've been studying Korean like seven years, so that's well, that's an example of the case in point of this rich linguistic landscape. That's what I wanted to move into. Yeah, there's, a, there's an assertiveness to say, this is 
this is for us. We understand this. We don't need to read this. That's fine. Let's, no subtitles. That's right. Exactly. Um, but and you can come up with dozens of examples of that. I think in in certain pockets around Los Angeles, and there's a there's an ease to it, though. At least my my feeling. So could you envision yourself living here again at some point? Absolutely. I am. If I, if someone has a really great apartment that I could rent for cheaply while I keep up my house in Oakland, I would. I would be in heaven. Hope springs eternal. What neighborhood would you be living in, ideally? That's, it's not what neighborhood are you in, but what neighborhood would it be? Are you pointing to your Libro Smibro shirt, Boyle uh, yeah. Heights? Yeah. Boyle Heights is, is, is my heart. Um, it just is, it's so wonderfully located. I mean, again, I have to keep my mind open. Some other things happen, and, and maybe another place would, would really be ideal, but it has everything. It has transportation, it has history, it has rich culture, it has wonderful merchants, it's walkable. It's got the river. It has the Metro Gold Line. Parrots come through. Feral cats everywhere. Largest population of stray chihuahuas you'll ever see. I did not know that. The food is rich. The largest, one of the largest Japanese American retirement homes is located right there on Boyle and Fourth. It's home. Once it gets that. Uh, regional connector rail station as we as we say connection that'll really be tapped into everything else you know it's what we always say about los angeles isn't it in every aspect once we get this part connected to that part in this way once there's more connection you know that's what people always fantasize about right yes and in a lot of it is it's also habit changing you know i think that connection is an understanding of how do you actually get yourself to where you want to be and then allow yourself to be open to that change I mean maybe in some ways this festival is an example of that it's certainly I think how long old is the LA Time Festival books maybe 15 20 years now the 90s ish I'm not sure when it started but and yeah I think it's people right maybe five years now at USC but it took time, even I think, for people to get used to the feeling of that it's going to be here. It took time for people to use the shuttle to come here and to understand that the expo train is actually a huge asset. But once you're here, you're here to actually understand what else do you have to offer? What else can I see? Um, how do I get my kids turned on? Um, how do I meet this person? And it's a place of ideas. And I, I even think that, you know, and transit itself is, is a place of ideas as well too it's like i couldn't have gotten there as fast if i hadn't taken the train right really. it seems like the ideal venue for it usc i forget what it was even like in the ucla days it was difficult it was hard to get to it was hard to get to i was going to say for those of us who were exhibitors it was really difficult to get to and i think that i i love this particular location um but then again i'm kind of an east side girl so yeah, well, every, everybody's becoming more of an east sider these days and you listeners can get more connected to los angeles in a variety of ways by reading the book latitudes and angelino's atlas edited by my guest today on the podcast patricia wakira thanks so much thank you so much for this this has been the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. I've been Colin Marshall. You can keep up with the LARB at lareviewofbooks.org and with me at colinmarshall.org. Thanks.